I'm Coach Tarek. And I'm Vanessa. And I'm Paul. We are your movement experts and we are here to educate health and fitness professionals with the tools to create real change for and within the industry. Hey Tarek, how you doing buddy? Good Paul, yourself? I'm very well. Now, I need to ask you some questions about a podcast you did with Jay Headley the other day. Tell me about Jay. Yeah, man, he's, he's great. He's a mentor of mine, one of the uh, forefront coaches, NLP master coach, performance coach. You know, he's, he's, he's coaching Formula One drivers and, you know, Fiji rugby, anywhere from that to developmental. Um, and he runs the coaching room, which is one of Australia's biggest uh, NLP, amongst other things, providers. And uh, he's been at it since 30 years, you know, and, and it's, it's in his fabric. Um, the guy just rattles things off like, you know, it, it's inside out knowledge, amazing wealth of, of, of knowledge. We dived into uh, behaviors in and around, you know, how can we help with behavioral change, um, particularly looking at um, the concept of self-determination theory and looking at those elements to motivate clients to internally change. Really a lot of useful tips on really understanding the true nature of limiting beliefs. He says that that's probably garbage, but the idea of like what we know as limiting beliefs, you know, how, how they can be hindrances. Um, you know, to the client's performance as well as the coaches, because the coach can also fall into that trap, you know, like if the coach, for example, doesn't understand their own biases, how then can they, um, provide any form of change with their clients, you know? Cool. So some very conceptual ideas about, you know, sense of self, belief systems, then how you can pick that and become a more impactful coach. Yeah. Sounds like it's potential listening for all coaches. Definitely. hundred percent. Welcome to the Purpose Driven Movement Podcast. Today I've got a very special guest, my friend and mentor, Jay Headley from The Coaching Room. Welcome, Jay, to the podcast. Thank you very much, Tarek. Excellent. How are you going today? Not too foul. I uh, had a bit of COVID recently, but apart from that, I'm going well. No, mate, you're Superman. You'll be fine. Now, on that topic, uh, what we're going to discuss today, it's called Why Mental Skills Training is Essential for the Client and coach performance. So it's like a bi-directional kind of element of relationship shit that we're, we're going to just be discussing today. So focusing in on that topic, Jay, uh, tell us what is intended by mental skills training. Well, firstly, you know, it's a bit like mental health. You, d- you don't know you need it until you don't have it. When we lack mental skills, it's when we lack the capacity to deal with what's happening around us and you know often we're over focusing an athlete will be over focusing uh on their performance rather than focusing on what are the what's the why what are the frames and what are the strategies that are going to enable them to enact that performance at a a really high level and you know there's an immense amount of pressure on high performance coaches physios health professional pts etc there's immense amount of pressure coming on these professional people because people want results faster. They want to achieve their outcomes without, without I mean, the, the generations that are coming up, they want a faster, quicker result. They want a response. And, and it's like, you know, I've been waiting my whole life to be successful and I need you to help me to get there. And so quite often, you know, athletes, uh, clients are under-responsible for their own mental strategy. And so the relationship between coach and client needs to go deeper than just performance. It needs to go into the beliefs, the values, the identity structures, the cognitive biases and intentions, 
or lack of intentions that are driving the client's performance. And so, you know, in today's world, a coach needs to become much more than just a technical specialist. They need to learn about the whole human being. And when we're talking about mental skills, we're talking about how the inner game leads the outer game, how the mind leads the body, uh, how the mind and the body combined house and lead the emotions. And, and you can't take away any part of that uh, and be successful. You alluded to the, the, the pressures of the results, yeah? So you, you may, let's say a personal trainer has a client with those expectations and their expectation is, well, if I don't get my result in a month, then it's, it's failure. Where, or you have the athlete who, if they don't get that result, uh, you know, uh, of, of, you know, in the swimming context, you know, getting that time to get into the Olympics, right? Like through your experience and through your lens, how have you dealt with that mixture of between the pressures of uh, of achievement versus actually being in the moment? Because I think this is a this is a crucial crucial one to discuss. Furthermore, being in that moment, how does then the athlete, along with the coach or client, kind of transcend so they're not, they're not focusing in on that result? And you talked about being governed by frames, so there's a little there to unpack here. So it's a, a, an athlete needs to focus on the process rather than the outcome. What causes an athlete to leave the moment is their externalizing of their reference, so their locus of focus, to the outside rather than being with what's occurring for them in the moment from the inside out. And so what causes the athlete to bother themselves and to bring their beliefs, to bring their values, to bring their biases into play is leaving the moment because they're starting to focus on the outcome rather than the process which delivers the outcome. And so, and so anything can be achieved by breaking an outcome down into the blocks, the building blocks that create it, and focusing on each one, one point at a time with intentionality. And the intentionality has got to be to master that moment. And once, a fo once an athlete or a client's focus is on mastering that moment, everything else falls into the background. It's when the background through the outside starts to lead the inside that the athlete or the client is going to have a problem because that's when all their shit is going to come up. And believe me, it, the human condition is wide and varied. We all have stuff. We all have shit. So, it, you know, it gets in the way. Yeah, that's that's terrific. And you talked about the, the frames, that, that element of it, that, that sort of govern typically these scenarios. Are you able to elaborate a little bit more? You, you talked about under-responsibility, for example. Can you elaborate, elaborate a little more on that and perhaps some other ones that are quite common? Well, let's go wider than that, Tarek. So let's go. Let's go to what cons. You know what? What is it uh, that that enables us to construct meaning in the first in the first place? And that is our value system. And our value systems change as we mature. And so, human beings, uh, we grow through stages of development. They are stages of meaning making. So, so let me ask you a question, Tarek. Do you think now? in exactly the same way as you did when you were a 16-year-old? I hope not. No, I, I, I believe not. Yeah, no, I, I, I certainly don't. I've, I've matured beyond that 16-year-old. Right? You've grown up. And so, and so you know, a, a coach needs to do much more than just simply be a technician or a buddy or a confidant. A coach 
need to understand how the client is making meaning so that they can drill straight into their meaning-making structures and influence them, yeah? And that's where the coach is going to get the biggest bang for buck. That's where they're going to get the most leverage. As our stages of development, for example, there are nine core stages in developmental psychology that a human being can grow through. Most people are at a stage four, five, maybe stage six. Uh, most athletes are young by definition. They're in their teens or in their early 20s. Uh, most clients coming in and getting into the gym are in their early 20s um, uh, statistically. So they're going to be at level three, four, five at the most to understand the difference in how each of those clients is making meaning through their values allows the coach to understand, number one, how the client is likely to be holding themselves back, and number two, to understand how to plug straight into their motivation system, to their motivation strategy, and be able to leverage the motivation strategy, or even better, help the, help understand how the client is demotivating themselves. We only need motivation because we're actually demotivating ourselves. And so that's the that's the self-talk, for example, the stuff that we say to ourselves in our head. I, I can't, it's hard, it's it's I'm not sure if this is possible, I'm too tired, I'm exhausted, you know, I've had enough for today. All the crap that we tell ourselves is actually demotivating us. So the other side of the superego then needs to come up and needs to go, come on, get up, get into it, you can do this, to try and then motivate ourselves. And so and so understanding how we're moving away from what we don't want or toward what we do want is an essential element for a coach to be able to plug into your motivation system and to to awaken you to the bits that are missing. But once once the the coach, the trainer, for example, has tapped into the meaning making structures, I wanted to discuss on the personalities because let's say a personal trainer may have clients at different stages of, of development. Yeah, they, they could be two all the way potentially up to nine. So there's going to be this very gamut, yeah, different potentially to, to, to the athletes where you've got a you know an athlete who's typically in their teens, maybe 30s at best or mid 30s. But um, in this context, where does person where where does personalities come into it? Because I think that's essential. Uh, not everyone is, is is the same, and personalities. The way I see it is this veneer. What what? How, how do we strip beyond or down those those personality structures? For example, so personality is made up of first thoughts at the more gross uh, realm. Our thinking structures are governed by our beliefs. Our beliefs are governed by our values. Our values are governed by our cognitive biases. Cognitive biases are simply do you do you spend time looking into the future or do you spend time thinking about the past or are you spending most of your time in the present moment? That's a cognitive bias. Are you more extroverted? Are you more introverted when you need to recharge your batteries? That's a cognitive bias. So our biases run all the rest of the personality structures and all of that forms a structure of personality. Personality is necessary but not sufficient. So it's a bit like personality is a greenhouse that grows us up into who we take ourselves to be, but it runs unchecked. It's supposed to, it's a personality is supposed to grow us up into society to become a good person, 
who has a good personality and the personality is the coping mechanisms, the belief, the values, the identity structures and so on and so forth that help us cope. However, once we've learned how to do that, we really no longer need it. Those coping mechanisms are wired into the structures of our thinking, but yet we keep running them. We keep we keep running them, running them regardless of what's actually happening in reality, and they start to get in the way. A bit like a greenhouse. If we were to, if we were to plant an oak tree in a greenhouse, the oak tree would grow to to uh, outgrow the greenhouse if we didn't remove it or remove the greenhouse. The oak tree could not reach its potential. Personality is the same. It's necessary, but then we need to start to, as you say, strip the layers back, go beyond beliefs, beyond values, beyond identity structures, beyond cognitive biases. We need to go beyond the personality if we're going to achieve the fullness of our potential. And so and so, we absolutely need to start to, to attend to our and our personality, and our personality really is a collection of habits of aforementioned beliefs, values, identity, structures, biases, etc. They're habits, habitual ways of thinking, and so they run unconsciously, habitually. Whereas when we go beyond personality, we're able to respond rather than react, react based on personality structures, we're able to respond to what the context requires of us in that moment. When we're able to do that in that moment and we're able to focus on the process, that's where the magic happens. Now, how do we know this? <clears throat> when high-performance athletes come off the field or off the court, I've often asked them when they've had an outstanding game, I've said, "What would you, what, tell me about your memory of the game. And inevitably, they'll say, I can't remember any of it, Jay. It's just, it just happened. I was in it. It was just happening. Like it went past the hooter went or the, the referee blew the whistle or whatever. And I was like, where the hell did the game go? They get lost in the moment. And that's what true presence is, being lost in the moment in flow. And they fell in love with the process and the game took care of itself. The outcome took care of itself. The score took care of itself because they were so lost in the process. Uh, Tim, Tim Galway of the inner game of tennis uh, and, and Mikhail Csikszentmihalyi call this flow. Yeah, it's terrific. I've read that multiple times. It's uh, one of mine too. Uh, so on that note, you talked about a lived experience and, and uh Part of the post feedback, this is interesting because I think this is vital for the, the, the athletic coach or the trainer, is to, to inevitably, the goal perhaps is to get clients or athletes in flow, right, or, or, or allow them to, to be in flow. So the, the, first, the first point here is how, how can the coach best facilitate that? That's quite broad. I know we can narrow this in more. And secondly, in that example you gave of the, the, the tennis player coming off the court after the, winning the match, is it is it really pertinent that the coach tap into that lived experience for the for the athlete to remember? Is that is that a crucial component? I just, I'm I'm trying to understand where that plays out because if they're if they're in the moment and they're not even remembering or recalling, is 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 it worth even tapping into that lived experience so that they remember that perhaps going into the next match or whatever it may be? What's really powerful is helping them to bring into their attentional field how they allow themselves, and it is, it's permission, it's a permissive state, 
how they allowed themselves permission to go there in the first place. That's where the coach needs to be able to play. Not just what you're talking about is anchoring in neurolinguistic programming, and, and the coach can help. And, and in, in our mental skills program, we teach the coach how to use anchoring with their client. It's necessary, but again, not sufficient. Even though we'll teach you know the, the coach how to do that with their clients so that, so that they can help the client fire the anchor that brings the state that serves the purpose of firing their intention, which then, then guides what they're attending to. We can show them how to do that. But ideally, you know, in, a, in, in an even meta to that, above and about that, is to go, to go even further to help the coach, help the client unlock the strategy that took them in in the first place. Now they don't need the anchor. They've got the strategy. They can now, now attend to in, ensuring that that strategy becomes a routine. Can you give some examples of the anchoring elements? Because that, that sounds like that, that can be crucial to achieving that success. It's good to start with. So so the neuro-semantic, neuro-meaning neurology, semantic meaning meaning-making capacity, the mind-body-emotional systems, one system, that's why we're hyphenated, mind-body-emotion, is one system, it's not three systems. But we hyphenate it so we can talk about the component parts. Really, it's about understanding how semantics, which is your meaning-making capacities of the human being, drive your neurology. Yeah, And so semantics is made up of beliefs, values, identity structures, cognitive bias, thinking patterns, etc., etc. That's your semantics is made up of that. So what we do is we uh, take somebody back in time, like you were talking about before, to a memory of a time when they are experiencing something that they want to re-experience. And as they take themselves back into that time, of course, as they remember the memory, the memory is coded with the emotion that was present, the state, mind-body-emotional state that was present in the moment. When they access the memory, and this is the most important part, in first person, as if they're back there reliving it now, they begin to relive the state experience. That's why when you think of a sad memory, Tarek, you get sad. When you remember something that made you laugh, you start laughing because because the coding for the memory is actually the mind-body-emotional state that was present. Pull up the memory, pull up the state. And that's a neuro, the, the, the neuro element to it. Neuro-semantic elements. One system, right? As, as one fires, the other fires, firing off the other and creating a knock-on effect. As uh, the client begins to experience the state experience that they experienced back there, then in the memory now, we then use a physiological as well as some psychological anchoring techniques to anchor that into the body into the physical experience and through representations into the mind and lock it in place so that they can have a trigger to access it any time they want. And so we can have uh, visual triggers, we can have auditory triggers. An example of an auditory trigger would be you hear a song that takes you back to a memory that makes you feel melancholy, yeah? We've all had that. Now how about an olfactory-based trigger? You're walking down the road, you smell the perfume of something who wafts by, who takes you back to a 
a, a really uh, intimate moment that you had. You turn around, could that be? Oh, oh no. Oh, okay. Wow. But, uh, you know, you smell baking that takes you back to your mum's kitchen. They're anchors. They're happening naturally, organically for us. What we do is we teach people how to anchor through all representational systems, including the kinesthetic physiological system, to anchor that experience in so that the person can bring it up again and again and again. And we also teach them to teach their clients how to stack that anchor so that the anchor builds over time. It's, a, it's an essential element. That's terrific. So in that, in that program, which speaks to high-performance coaches, personal trainers, anchoring is going to be a key component. The, the other, I believe, is going to be the meta programs. Did you want to give some examples of some key, you talked about the representational system, some key meta programs that the coach really needs to embody? A more apt word, because meta programs sounds a bit languagey, a, a better word for that is a, a cognitive mind intention. And a cognitive intention is an intentional pattern of your mind. So do you think in big picture terms? Do you, are you a big picture person where you connect ideas and thoughts and understandings together and you see the overarching picture? Or are you a detailed person that likes to drill into the details and you know what? You might believe something like the devil's in the detail. And so are you more, as I said, extroverted or introverted? Do you sort for sameness? Do you sort for things that are like what you already understand and know? Or do you sort for difference? Do you look for things that are different to what you understand and know when you take information in, for example? There's just a few of them. There are some 60 cognitive intentions, or as you labeled them, meta programs. Meta simply means about and about. So a frame above and about a previous frame. But beliefs work that way. So so uh, human beings, uh, what makes us unique is our capacity for self-reflexive. That means self-reflexive means we can think about our thinking. So we can think about something, then we can think about, you know, the way I'm thinking about that, I'm wondering if I'm thinking about that the right way. That's meta-thinking to your thinking. Now you can think about how you're thinking about your thinking. And you can keep doing that ad infinitum. We are a meta class of life. So we continuously think about the thinking about the thinking about the thinking about our experience. And we have thoughts about thoughts. Beliefs work that way. So I'll give you a really good example is that, you know, uh, a, a client might believe that they can't go any further. They can't push through this physical experience that they're having. They've hit a wall. Right, and and they go. I just cannot go any further. Now you and I know that's not true. The mind's getting in the way, and if we can get the mind out the way, we can flog the body. The body can take a lot more than the mind can take. And so and so, when we check in, how do you know you can't go on any further? And then the person might say, "I just know it," you know, and you know, I believe it. And then we say. Well, how do you know to trust that belief? And they say, well, I, I don't believe I can change my beliefs. I don't believe I can change my beliefs is meta to the belief they're running, locking it in place. And so unless we attend now to the meta belief, you will never change that, that, that primary belief because the meta belief is locked it in place. And if we look into the frames, the thoughts and feelings about that, we have meta-meta 
beliefs. So our beliefs work in layers. To understand how beliefs work and to be able to ask questions that unravel the stuff and the highest brain governs the game, to unravel the beliefs all the way up to the highest frame running that game until we get there and we can help the client understand that this is the frame running their game, shift this frame, the game will shift, they'll keep running that game even though it's not working for them. Yeah, I love it. Just to, for the for the listeners, the, the, the adage there is um, the aim of the game is to name the frame. It's probably another way of saying it as you said it, said it uh Many times, interesting, isn't it? Because there's so much talk of limiting beliefs, you know, as this sort of broad brush. And, and unless the person seeking this information can understand that there are these layers here of of, of learning and gaining insight into their very own uh, frames that that they're governed by, then it's really difficult to to even uh, be somewhat deluded that, that you're going to change an athlete's or the clients. Well, the interesting thing is that those current beliefs are serving them and simultaneously holding them back to wreck. So there are no limiting beliefs. Yeah, let's I'll say it again. There are no limiting beliefs. They are simultaneously serving and limiting. Yeah, so you can't just have a limiting belief. That's just garbage. It's Anthony Robbins rubbish. There are, there are the you you will not hang on to a belief if it does not serve you at some level. Yeah, even if even if it's not getting you the outcome, the intention of that belief is to serve. It is for self protection. It is to avoid failure. It is to ensure that you don't make a fool of yourself. There's all so so that part's not limiting. Right? But until you can see the whole view, that is, how it's serving you or how it's intended to serve you and how it's limiting, the person without all of that information cannot make an informed decision to release themselves from the belief because it's holding them back more than it's serving them. And so when we can see, help them see the fullness of that, not just part of it, not just the limiting side of it, but also how it's positively intended to help them, then they cannot take responsibility and make an informed decision to release themselves from that belief. It unconsciously will keep running the show because it's the highest frame. There are a number of strategies that, that you teach, of course, yeah, within the different programs in the coaching room to, to help break free from that. Um, could we maybe go through a quick quick example um, of maybe looking at it? There's, I know there's the timeline, for example, that, that you looked at that could help rewire people's perception um, and perhaps even be able to tap into recalling that memory to help them help to serve them in the present moment so there's timeline is one time doesn't exist it's it's a human construct because we now know it's a human construct we can quite literally go back into memories give ourselves resources that that when brought up into the present allow us to release ourselves from the past really quickly it's part of what we call cleaning up yeah so, so the first element is waking up. Waking up is waking up to the personality structures, the beliefs, the identity structures, how they're both limiting us and supporting us. When we wake up to them, we can start to identify what's serving us and what's not serving us. Waking up is bringing into the attentional field what is inside of your awareness 
but you do not yet understand. Now, part of the waking up leads us to grow up. We've talked about the growing up, the growing up through vertical stages of meaning making, vertical stages of development. Only when a human being can no longer resolve or unlock a problem from their current stage of development will they shift into the next stage of development. So what precedes growth through stages is is struggle and challenge. So struggles and challenge are necessary for growth and development. And so then the, then there's the work of actually doing the work of cleaning up, and, and that's best done with a coach. It's done with a coach who understands not only the physiology, but the psychology behind that drives the physiological excellence. Uh, so part of the growing up is it's, it's in tandem with the cleaning up. So the growing up and the cleaning up. So you go... Uh, Waking up, and then you understand the identity structures that, that are unserving or limiting, as you put it. Okay, so then we go from uh, cleaning up to showing up. Showing up is is to unleash your potential in the moment, to allow yourself to be in flow and do what you've trained your body to do. Whether you're going to the gym four, five, six times a week, or you're training eight times a week or you're doing uh, uh, as, a, as a high performance athlete, a mix of both of those things. Showing up is to allow that training, whether it's school development, whether it's strength and conditioning, uh, whatever, a cardio, whatever element of that, that that you're working on, whether it's the mental skills, is to then allow that to show up in your performance when it's needed, when it's necessary, when the pressure's on. And so, and so timeline, timeline therapy is one one component part of what we teach. Other component parts that I've mentioned before are strategies and unlocking the strategy of how a person can give themselves permission to wake up, grow up, clean up, show up. And so strategies is another core element. Belief change is another core element. Uh, Understanding then how, you know, we can shift mental barriers, shift past events and being attached to them shift how we keep getting ourselves in the way. There's, there's so many core elements to the whole program that, that it, you are learning about how first and foremost to run your own brain so that you can then help somebody do the same when it matters. Yeah, there's plenty of uh, strategies you've laid out there. I love that, that whole model there. It really sums up uh, the conversation to this point. So you, you've you've given a lot here. Um, I, I know because I've gone through a lot of your your mentoring, and uh, it's 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 well worth it. So I did want to ask you. It's not easy though, Tarek. It's not easy work. Yeah, I I, I attest. <laughs> it's not meant to be easy. The reason that it's not meant to be easy is because development occurs at the edge of your comfort zone, and the kind of development we're pointing to is intentional evolution. That is, you intending to develop and evolve yourself means that you you it's necessary for you to go to the edge of your comfort zone and to push beyond the boundaries of your personality, of your mind. That means that it's not comfortable. It's not meant to be. And so the kind of coming, coming and training with us isn't comfortable, but I tell you what, it is one of the most single rewarding experiences you could possibly experience. Yeah, I agree, and I, and I think look, it's it's all, it, to me, it's a non-negotiable for a coach in, in any in any capacity or threshold um, to to actually do the work, um, but but do it guided. I, I I think right. So you know, it's 
to me, that's 101. Well, that's what leadership is. Leadership is going first. Leadership is pioneering something new and different that no one's pioneered before. And if you're not pioneering, you're not leading, you're lost. And so, and so pioneering is an essential element of, 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 of leading. A coach needs to be able to lead a client, and therefore they need to be able to go first. And so a coach's development means that, 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 that they have worked on their own vertical development of waking up, growing up, cleaning up so that they can show up is an essential element because you can't lead a client past where you're at. You can't take a client past where you can see. And so the work of going first is the is the most important element of coach because when your client starts to go through the landscape which you've already navigated, it's with ease that you're able to navigate them through it. And so and so going first is really authenticity. It's really stepping into your own authenticity of having done the work yourself. Yeah, and it does take courage and also the the other thing that's always that that comes up in the programs when you're teaching it is that we we tend to reflect we you know when when as coaches perhaps our own biases and 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 those biases then exist you know in in, in the client for the athlete so that's an interesting one as well isn't it to really become aware of one's uh, own governance because without being aware of it you'll project it onto your client. Yeah, that's a typical fault. Um, uh, you know, me included, made many of those mistakes before. That is, this has been terrific. Now, I've got a, a final question for you: Is if you could change one thing about health, fitness, wellness, um, the medical industry today, uh, what would it be from your experiences? To help coaches, trainers, etc., genuinely understand that that the developmental nature of human development uh, uh, you know, is, is to know that is so important so that they can become the facilitators of not only health and fitness, but also the developmental skills of vertical development to help your clients wake up, clean up, grow up, so that they can genuinely start to show up uh, in the work that you're doing with them. And in their performance. Now, um, could you tell the listeners a little bit more of a summary of the mental skills program, um, which really would will, will help coaches unlock a lot of this um, content that we've been discussing, this information? Well, it's grounded in the field of neurolinguistic programming or NLP. And so it's taking all of the core NLP techniques, teaching you how to genuinely listen, not just to what's being said, but to the, to the stuff that's meta to what's being said, the beliefs that are running, the identity structures that are running, the value systems that are running, the person's worldview, the cognitive biases that are running, so that you can identify where the leverage point for your client is that they can't see that they can't see. Yeah? That's, that's really one of the most important aspects. So learning to listen to all of that and learning to listen to also what's not being said but is being communicated by the client. And so learning to listen, uh, you can you, you, a client will only let you listen to them. They'll only open up if you can get a high, deep level of rapport with them. So a rapport skills, and I'm not talking about how is your weekend, how is your mother, how is she coping. I'm talking about genuine, unconscious, psychological and physiological rapport. We'll teach, we'll teach them how to get rapport, how to then identify how 
states work so that they can begin to lead the client state and be able to access state-based resources where and when they require it. Being able to ask high powerful questions of specificity, so a specific questioning model, how to be able to ask meta questions that help the client step back and think about how they're thinking. And so, and so that's just the basis of the NLP component part of it. Then we've got all of the strategies model. We've got the we've got the different models to work through uh, uh, challenges, issues, past events, etc. Like timeline. Uh, we've then got we leave NLP and we move into integral theory, which is grounded in human developmental psychology to understand how meaning making structures and patterns work, how they can help the client grow their emotional intelligence, how they can help the client grow their interpersonal and their intra-self-related uh, line of intelligence, how they can grow these lines of intelligences to help them grow up. And so the, the, the neuro-linguistic programming, the developmental psychology through integral theory, bringing these together means it's a program like no other. We certainly look forward to uh, hearing more about that. Again, Jay, really appreciate your time um, and your wisdom and information. And for those listeners in, we hope you enjoyed it. And to find out more information about uh, what Jay does, uh, it'll be in the show notes, but uh, coachingroom.com.au um, is where you can uh, first point of contact. Thank you for listening in on the Purpose Driven Movement podcast with Jay Edley from The Coaching Room. Thanks, Jay. From the bottom of our heart, Thank you for being a part of our podcast community. We work hard to create content that we hope you enjoy and find valuable. If you haven't already, we would be honored if you would consider subscribing and following us on your favorite platform. That way you'll never miss an episode and you'll always be the first to know when new episodes are released. We truly appreciate your support and we can't wait to continue to grow and connect with you through our podcast.